Good morning. How's everybody doing? Today is the first I heard about the the men's hangout board game night, two and a half hour board game night. I'm not sure you can play a proper board game in two and a half hours, but we will see. So anyway, so yeah, so glad to, to be here. Welcome uh, from Vandalia. Amber and I are excited to be here worshiping with you guys today as we conclude our series, uh, You Have Heard It Said. And this has been a great series. Uh, we've really enjoyed it down in Vandalia. We've been using this series as the, uh, the launching point for our community groups. And uh, some people have mentioned, you know, man, we've really, you know, these kind of introductory community groups are kind of diving into the deep end with adultery and anger and uh, murder and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, it's good. It's good for, it's good for you guys, right? So, so I'm excited about con- concluding that message for you guys today. And as we've seen throughout the series, we're looking at, at Jesus's instruction to his disciples and his call, right, to this higher uh, righteousness, this higher righteousness than that of the scribes and the Pharisees we looked at a few weeks ago. And Right, we talked about how when Jesus said that, their jaws would have dropped. And like, what are you talking about? How can we do that? How can we be more righteous than the, the professionally righteous people? Right? And Jesus says, right, it comes from our heart. We have to have hearts that are pure. It's not just about right action. And so today we are talking about enemy love, loving our enemies. And as we look at the story of the Bible, we see enemies all over the place. We see Cain hated Abel because God accepted Abel's offering instead of his, so he killed him. We see that King Saul had an enemy. His name was David. He hated David for being anointed the, the next king of Israel. He hated him for stealing the hearts of the people away from him. And so he tried to kill him every chance he got. Saul had an enemy. Saul hated the church, those Christ followers. He hated them because he thought they were blasphemers and heretics. And so we see enemies throughout the the text of of Scripture. And most of us don't have enemies like that anymore. Most of us aren't hunting somebody down that we're upset with most of the time. When I was in high school, there was this, this one gentleman, his name was Dorsey, and uh, he was a bit of a bully. And he was our enemy for a while. And when he showed up at a party, me and my friend group, we just tried to sneak out the, the back door. And while one, uh, I think it was in my junior year, Dorsey had this pretty intense pickup truck. And, uh, and on, the, on the back window, he painted the endorser. And we we're just like, I don't think you know what that means. <laughs> I, I, I think he was going for a play on the, the word enforcer and not person who signs checks. But uh, we still avoided him anyway in case he wanted to sign any of our checks. But uh, so that was the, the first enemy that popped into my head as I was thinking of, of, about this message, right? But the reality is most of us don't have these enemies that are hunting us down, like I said. And we actually think we're more civilized, and we try to avoid violent outbursts, at least in person, right? There's places it's called the internet. That's where violent outbursts happen, right? So we, we maybe don't do it outside, right? But inside we have this anger and the, this hatred, right? And we are moving people into the category 
of enemy all the time. You know, if somebody hurts us or cheats us, people that stand for things that we don't believe in, they are our enemy, right? And we won't attack them physically, but we're going to hold grudges and we're going to say some pretty nasty things behind their back and on Facebook. We declare submarine warfare against our enemies. And Merriam-Webster defines enemy as a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. Right, but I think that in our culture, in today's culture, uh, it's just even assumed opposition moves somebody into the enemy category. Even just disagreement, we can quickly move somebody into the enemy category. Right? And our enemies are these people who are getting in the way of what we think is our perfect idea of what life is supposed to look like. Right? And we hold fast to our inalienable right to run after life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and we're willing to run over anybody that gets in our way. Right? And so we see that the, the teaching of Jesus to love our enemies is not a very American idea. And it pushes against us a little bit. It causes us to get our hackles up. Right? Because we read the, the Sermon on the Mount and we think of it as these kind of nice ideas that we've heard a lot and like maybe I'll put that on a plaque and hang it in my living room. Right? But when Jesus said you should love your enemies to his disciples, they would have been like, well that sucks. What are we supposed to do with that? Love our enemies? You want me to love that Roman centurion, right, that, that beat up my brother last week? You want me to love him? That made me carry his pack for a mile? And yeah, I know you said carry it two miles, and the whole time it sucked. Can I say that? Can I say that in church? I apologize. You can send complaints to Cameron at newdaycommunity.org. Right? And so people get in our ways, and we move them into the category of enemy. Right? Anybody that disagrees, right? anybody that is on the opposite political party than we are, they are automatically our enemy. Right? If we look at the, the same-sex marriage debate or gun control or immigration, we, just want to, we don't want to hear what they're saying. We know what the right thing is, and we move them into the enemy category. Don't listen to us. Don't, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to listen to us. We like our echo chamber. Right? But Jesus' teaching on enemy love is just as radical today as it was when his disciples heard it 2,000 years ago. And the truth is, it makes no sense. From a worldly perspective, from just our left to our own devices, this idea of enemy love is super gross. We don't like it. We don't want to do it. And it doesn't make any sense, right? To, you know, to... Uh, to love that person who is attacking us and persecuting us. There's a story of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, when he was traveling around, speaking, uh, you know, uh, talking about civil rights and in the way of nonviolence. He was giving a, a speech, and one night he's giving this speech, and this Nazi, like a legitimate Nazi, not never mind, I won't be, a legitimate Nazi came up and, and punched him and knocked him down. And Martin Luther King Jr. stood up again and continued on his speech. And this, this guy comes up and punches him again and knocks him down. 
And Martin Luther King Jr. stands up again and continues his speech. And the guy goes to punch him again, and finally somebody comes and tackles him and pulls him off stage. They take him into the back. They call the police. and They're about to press charges. And Martin Luther King leaves the stage. He goes into the back and is like, we're not pressing charges. You know, he can come back. He can finish listening to, to the speech and we can talk about it afterwards. And then Martin Luther King continued and finished his speech. And nobody in that audience was questioning, man, I wonder who won that fight. Because the way of power and violence is not the way of the kingdom. And while it feels weak and foolish to allow somebody to attack us, it's certainly not American to take advantage of us, yet the way of the kingdom is not about America. It supersedes America. It supersedes Republican. It supersedes Democrat, right? It's higher than that. We follow a different king, a different way of life. And that is what Jesus is drawing us into. Hopefully I've offended everybody, not just a certain group of people tonight or this morning. Right? And so, in this idea of enemy love doesn't make any sense unless we understand that when we were Jesus' enemies, when we were pounding nails into his hands and into his feet, he said, I love you and I am dying for you to restore you back into right relationship. And so as we recognize enemy love from Jesus, that empowers us and shows us a way to practice enemy love in our lives. All right, long introduction. Let's get to our text today from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. Jesus says to his disciples, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun, his son, to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. And so Jesus calls his disciples to a higher righteousness. He calls them, he calls us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. Right? Instead of retaliation, instead of one-upsmanship, instead of slander, he says start with prayer. Follow the way of Jesus, who when he was being crucified, right, said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. But Jesus shows us not only what we're supposed to do, he gives us this command to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, but he shows us why. Why are we supposed to do this, Jesus? What is the benefit here? And he says, so that. Right? And so that is this little conjunction that's very important. It indicates the, the purpose or it indicates the result of an action. Right? If you do this, then this is going to happen. The action here is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right? And that is, should be enough. Jesus said it. We should do it. But great. He gives us a reason. He says, 
love your enemies so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Or in the NIV, it says, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Because children are supposed to have the characteristics of their father. Right? We see parents, or we see the, the parents in the child. Right? We have these uh, sayings uh, like, like father, like son, or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Some of you may or may not know that Amber and I are currently reading a, a book called, or a series of books called Harry Potter. And I'm not endorsing those books necessarily, but uh, in this book, people run into Harry Potter all the time, and they, anybody who knew his father says, oh, you look just like him. And when he acts out of bravery, and he's courageous, and he's fighting the evil, he's standing up for what's right, even when it's hard, they go, I see your father in you. Right? And we are supposed to take on the characteristics of our father in the natural and in the supernatural. We were created in the image of God. But as we know, in Genesis chapter 3, there is a fall, right? And we got corrupted, right? Sin entered into the world, and this image of this beautiful, perfect father got broken. But now, through the way of Jesus, as we follow him, as we do what he's called us to do, we become more like the children of our Father in heaven. We become restored back into our true self. And so what is the Father like? Jesus explains. The Father causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. The Father sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Right? The Father is kind to everybody. He is gracious to everybody. The good, the bad, the righteous, the unrighteous. Right, what we understand about the Father is that He knows people's hearts. Right? He knows what's in my heart. He knows what's in your heart. And yet, He still lets the sun shine on you and the rain fall on you. He gives common grace to all. And for me, I'm much more likely to assume what's going on in somebody's heart and withhold kindness until they get it right. Right? That's what Jesus would do, right? No, it's not what Jesus would do. Jesus proves that out through his life and his ministry and his death. Right? To be like the Father, to be like Jesus, we give kindness regardless of what's going on in somebody's heart. Well, that seems really challenging, Jesus. And it is. Right? We have a hard enough time loving people that like us. <laughs> now, if you've been married for any length of time, you know it can be challenging to love this person that you've committed your life to. And so if that's hard, right, if I have a hard time loving Amber, even though I know she's encouraging, she's supportive, she loves me, she cares for me, she wants the best for me, if I have a hard time Loving her, how am I going to love somebody who is attacking me and slandering me and cutting me down? But that is what we're called to do. 
Paul talks about it like this in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. He says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Right? We were God's enemies. And we can, it's really easy for me, and maybe it's easy for you guys, just to kind of downplay our sinfulness. Like, I wasn't that bad. I know a lot of people that were way worse from, than me. And now Jesus is actually pretty lucky to have me on his team. You're welcome, Jesus. Right? But no, we were, we were his enemies. We were the ones slamming spikes through his hand, right? We were the ones saying, we don't want anything to do with you. And yet he loved us. And so how do we get off not expressing and living out that same love to others? We can't. Paul continues a few chapters later, and he says this. He says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Like, we've heard love your enemies a lot, and you, and you can get numb to that and go, okay, great, I'm going to love my enemies, no problem, Jesus. But when we understand what Paul is saying here, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Not just kind of avoid them, not just don't get revenge, not just don't say bad things about them on Facebook, but to actually to track them down, this person who is hurting me and oppressing me and persecuting me, and to, to give them food if they're hungry, that is super gross. I don't want to do that. Uh, many years ago, when I worked at Little Caesars on Cork Street, we had a great boss. His name was PJ, and everybody loved PJ. Well, PJ moved on uh, eventually, and this new lady, she who shall not be named, became the manager of Little Caesars. And she was terrible. She was, she was just not a good person. No, just kidding. She was probably a good person, but you couldn't tell. Uh, and so, and she just, Everything that she did irritated me. And one Friday, uh, I'm, I'm on the counter, I'm handing people pizzas, taking money, and Pastor Cameron comes in. And I'm like, Cameron, you would not believe this woman. Like, she's doing this, and she's doing that. I can't stand her. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to go to her boss. I'm going to do this, and yada, yada, yada. And Cameron, bless his heart, quotes this verse to me. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. I don't want to do that, Jesus. I can't do it. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. I'm like, Cameron, you don't even understand how bad this lady is. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I'm like, okay, I can get behind that. <laughs> right? And, and so for the, rest, for the rest of the night, she asked me to do something. Oh, I'd absolutely, I'm happy to do that. Shovel, <laughs> shovel, and enjoy your coal bath. Right? Yeah, and so maybe my heart hadn't quite caught up with the, with the gospel at, at that point, but I was, I was working it out, right? I was trying. It's just the best I could do at that point, right? right? But this is, the, this is the way of Jesus. It's not easy, right? The, the call of discipleship is not this idea of, like, I prayed a prayer and now I'm in and everything's going to be hunky-dory from now on. No, the, the call of Jesus is the long, hard road of obedience. 
It is a long, hard road of taking up our cross, dying to ourselves so that we can love our neighbor and we can love our enemy. The call of Jesus is to give kindness and grace to everybody, no matter what's going on in their hearts, in their minds, and allow God to sort out the judgment. Marilee talked about this last week. That is the challenging way of Jesus. And so who is our neighbor? Or who is our enemy, actually, right? Who, who is it that we're supposed to love? So I, I just had this, as I said, we're reading Harry Potter. Sorry. Sorry, church. But uh, we, so we just, I'm in the, what's the book that we're in? Order of Phoenix, thank you. Thank you. And so there's this new uh, professor of uh, dark arts or whatever, and her name is Dolores Umbridge, and she is so bad. Like, she is, she's like the, the, the poster child of a whitewashed tomb, right? She looks good on the outside, but inside is full of dead men's bones, right? She is super gross. And I, it's like so easy to hate this woman because she is vile and, and mean and manipulative. Uh, it's just, she's terrible. And, but like, Jesus, if, if Dolores, I know this doesn't make any sense. If, Delo, if you move Dolores Umbridge and her horribleness out of the world of fiction and into our world, Jesus would love her and expect us to do the same thing. I'm glad she's a fictional character because I love <laughs> hating her. She is the worst, right? But that is the idea. Like, we are to love the people that are terrible. So who is your enemy? Who have you moved into the category of enemy? Your crazy neighbor, your, your angry ex-boyfriend, Right? Those immigrants trying to get into our country, that gay couple that lives on the other side of the street, we've moved all of them into the enemy category, and we are right. I don't think right matters. That's not true. That's, let, me try, let me try to say it a different way. Let me try to say it a different way. See, I got off my notes. It's always very dangerous when I do that. It's, it's not about like, oh, you know, I'm going to find who's in and who's out. And I am going to be the, the champion of God and, and bring his wrath and his judgment onto these people who don't fit in to my understanding of what the kingdom looks like. Is that better, Amber? <laughs> Amber said no. Well, that's what I've got. I'm sorry. Cameron at newdaycommunity.org is the, is the email. So... Right? And so the idea is like, we just want to kind of create these boxes of who's in and who's out, who deserves our love and who doesn't. This is how we're going to, to live our life. But Jesus says, you're just supposed to love them and let me sort out the judgment. Wow. I'm going to move on because I'll just get myself in more trouble if I continue <laughs> down that line, right? We are called to be like our Father, right, to emulate him. And he's not up in heaven worried and hurried and anxious, right? He's not scared about what's going to happen. When Jesus is talking here to his disciples, he doesn't seem worried about what's happening with Rome. 
Yeah, they're, and they're going to get even worse. They get real nasty during the dispersion and all the, the Jewish Christians have to get scattered all over the known world to avoid persecution and martyrdom. But Jesus says you should love them. And Paul says you should feed them and give them water. So we should look like the Father, living lives that are unworried, unhurried, secure in God, hopeful, believing the best, loving, self-sacrificing, humble, and non-anxious. That's what I think Jesus looks like. And I don't want to get stirred up with fear and worry that causes me to hide in my little tribe and create enemies outside that I'm fighting against. Okay, Amber, I'll move on. So Jesus continues. <laughs> Jesus continues, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And so Jesus says, loving those who love you, it's normal. Right? That's just what's expected. Everybody can love those who love you, even though, we've, as we've mentioned, that can, that can even be challenging. Right? And then, as far as I know, this is the only time Jesus takes this word tax collector and the, this word Gentile and uses them in this kind of pejorative uh, idea, or this, like, is a slanderous kind of a cut-down, right? Like, well, you guys know better than those crazy tax collectors and those Gentiles that you hate. Because they do the exact same thing. They love those who love themselves. They love those who love them. Right? And, the, and the, the tax collectors, they were hated. Right? They were Jewish people who had aligned themselves with Rome to, to line their pockets with the gold of the Jews. Right? They were traitors. They were heretics. They were the enemy. And Jesus says, you're just like them. And the Gentiles, they were the outcasts, right? They were the half-breeds. Everybody hated the Gentiles. And Jesus said, that's the exact same thing that they're doing. But you are called to something else. You're called to the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is different. It's a higher righteousness. A righteousness that is higher than the scribes and the Pharisees. I ran across a, a, a story, and I'm not sure about the historicity, the, the, the truthfulness of this, but it's a good example. They, they say that in these Christian catacombs of Rome, this story was written on the, the cave wall. And this is the story. It said, a rich, a rich man named Proculus had hundreds of slaves. The slave named Paulus was so trustworthy that Proculus made him the steward over his whole household. One day, Proculus took Paulus with him to the slave market to buy some new workers. Before the bargaining began, they examined the men to see if they were strong and healthy. Among the slaves stood a weak old man. Paulus urged his owner to buy this slave. Proculus answered, but he's good for nothing. Go ahead, buy him, Paulus insisted. He's cheap, and I promise that the work in your household will get done even better than before. So Proculus agreed and purchased the elderly slave. And Paulus made good on his word. The work went better than ever. 
But Proculus observed that Paulus now worked for two men. The old slave did no work at all. While Paulus tended to him, gave him the best food and made him rest, Proculus, or, well, he gave him food and made him rest, period. Proculus was curious, so he confronted Paulus. Who is this slave? You know I value you. I don't mind your protecting this old man, but tell me who he is. Is he your father who has fallen into slavery? Paulus answered, It is someone to whom I owe more than to my father. Your teacher then? No, somebody to whom I owe even more. Who then? This is my enemy. Your enemy? Yes, he is the man who killed my father and sold us, the children, as slaves. Proculus stood speechless. As for me, said Paulus, I am a disciple of Christ who has taught us to love our enemies and to reward evil with good. And I have no idea if that is a true story or not, but in the first century, in those first years after Christ died, as the church rose up, they were known as the enemy-loving people. I don't know anybody that accuses the church of being the enemy-loving people. And that's a problem. We saw it played out on the news a week or so ago when Botham Jean's brother said to his brother's murderer that he forgives her after Amber Geiger was sentenced to 10 years in prison for the, for the murder of his brother. And it's as if, I don't have time to, to play the video, but it's this incredible just reflection of the father-like love played out in real love, in real life, as, as this, this man who is weeping and tormented by the, the murder of his brother speaks forgiveness and then hugs his brother's murderer. And that kind of love is impossible if we have not been regenerated, if we have not experienced that kind of love from Jesus Christ. Because when we receive it, then we are empowered and we are able to give it away. Here's a picture. Jesus wraps up this section. This not just the talking about uh, enemy love, but the last six sections here with this little line. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. No, it's a challenge, isn't it? I'm going to get there. Right? right? You're supposed to be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. And he's, say, he's talking to these disciples so we can picture them continuing. They're sitting on this grassy knoll or whatever around Jesus, and he's teaching them. He's like, you guys, you guys sitting right here with me, you guys are not to be like those tax collectors and Gentiles that we just talked about. Right? You guys aren't supposed to be like the scribes and the Pharisees that we talked about a little bit ago. Right? You are to be my disciples. And Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. We are disciples of Jesus. We are followers of the way. And we now live in a completely different level. 
right? We aren't buying into the ways of the world that say we need to stand up for ourselves and we cannot let anybody take advantage of us, right? We are not going to live in a way that says, I'm going to grasp onto power and prestige and violence to bolster myself, right? I am not going to give in to this idea that the only way to overcome power is to use more power, right? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus tells, uh, what's his name? Peter, go, go get a sword. Go get, go get a sword. And that before Jesus is arrested. And then the, 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 this crowd comes to arrest Jesus. And Peter is like, I, got, I understand. Jesus told me to get a sword. Let me pull this thing out. And we will overcome this crowd with this military power. And he cuts off his ear. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not how we do it in the kingdom. Jesus, what are you talking about? You told me to go get a sword, and I used the sword for the people that were attacking you. And Jesus, and this is my opinion, my opinion is that Jesus told Peter to go get the sword. Peter had the sword and then condemned his use of it, and that is saying to us, like, we have the ability to hold on to power. We have the ability to run after power, whether that's political power or military power or rhetorical power or prestige or influence or whatever it is, but we're not using that because the way of the kingdom is the way of self-death. The way of the kingdom is humble service to neighbor and enemy alike. And that's what we see happen. Jesus doesn't overcome the powers and principalities by bringing an army. He doesn't overpower Rome by bringing an army. He overpowers it all by laying his life down to the death. And so when Jesus talks about being perfect, right, this is, is not moral perfection because we have no hope. We can't do it. Right? But what he's talking about here is this word, teleos, can also be translated as completeness or wholeness or spiritual maturity. The only other time Jesus uses this word in the Gospel of Matthew is when the rich young ruler comes to him and says, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you must follow all the commands. And he says, I've kept them all. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, spiritually mature, Go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Right? And so we become perfect not when we are you know, sinless because it's not going to happen. We are sinless in Jesus, but you know what I mean. Right? Not when we are sinless, but it is when we are fully integrated with the way of Jesus. When we reflect the character of our Father. Right? And that is our call. That is our journey. To be like the Father. And one of the ways we do that is through enemy love. And we don't become like the Father when we say a prayer. Right? I said a prayer 25 years ago, gave my life to Jesus. Right? And that was a great start. But I can't hang my hat on that. 
The way of Jesus and becoming like Jesus is a journey. As Eugene Peterson says, it's a, it's a, a long obedience in the same direction. We're going to continue running after Jesus and living out his characteristics. When we recognize a failing in ourselves, we're going to repent, ask him to forgive us, and we're going to continue walking it out. When I see myself putting somebody in the enemy category, I'm going to repent. I'm going to, God, I'm so sorry. I put them in the enemy category. Would you bless them? Would you cause them to flourish? Would you help them to know the, the, the boundlessness of your love? Right? And when we pray for them, right, then we are acting like the Father. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. Okay, so how do we do this? What is the practical implication of this idea of becoming perfect and running after enemy love. Well, I want to encourage you guys to check your heart, right? That's a John Christ line. Check your heart, right? Jesus, you know, ask the Lord, ask Holy Spirit, where am I withholding love? Right? Because left to our own devices, we're not going to see it. We're just going to think, my camp is right. I'm not withholding love. I'm standing up for righteousness, right? But ask Jesus, say, Jesus, where am I withholding love? Who have I labeled as my enemy. And you need the Holy Spirit to do that. Second, pray for and love your enemies. Right? You can look again at Romans 12, 20, where Paul said to, to feed your enemy and to give your enemies, enemies something to drink. That's hard. That's real hard. But by beginning to, to pray for them and asking God, to, where, God, how can I show your love to these people. And number three, stop isolating yourself. Right? Pursue relationship. Get to know people. If there's somebody that you recognize as your enemy, go talk to them. Whoa, crazy, right? Or better yet, just listen to their story. Find out where they're coming from. Believe it or not, it's okay if we disagree. Right? It's not okay to withhold love. It's not okay to withhold prayer. Right? So check your heart. Pray for and love your enemies. Stop isolating yourself. Get to know people that think differently than you. All right? Amen. Well, we've concluded. We've done it. We've gotten through six sections of the Sermon on the Mount. So good job. Would you guys just join me as we close in prayer? Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you that when we were your enemies, you sent Jesus to die. That you did not keep us in, that, in this category of enemy, but you became human. You became incarnate. You lived a sinless life, went to the cross to bear the punishment for our sins so that we could be restored. Lord, we thank you for your redemption. And Lord, as we recognize our sin, we, as we recognize where we have come from, would you help us to live out your way of love? Will you help us to have the ability to die to ourselves, to love everybody that we encounter? And Lord, help us to figure out how this works in this challenging world. How do we disagree? 
How do we love those who are opposed to us? I don't even know how to do it, but Jesus, we know that there's a way. And so help us to run after you. In your name we pray. Amen.